Homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. One of our Kalyanamittas has written and said, A friend recently accused me of singing the Dhamma rather than reciting it. We got into an argument about it where he was saying, It's in the suttas. And I was saying, I'm following what I've learned at the temple street and the chants that are on YouTube. Could you offer some guidance on what the Buddha has recommended? What is wrong with singing the Dhamma? We can certainly look at this. There is a sutta called the Gita Sara Sutta, which helps to understand where the Buddha is coming from. There's also an origin story in the Vinaya about how the Buddha made this rule for the monks not to sing the Dhamma. So we'll go through some of the Pali words and also through what the Buddha's emphasis was in making this particular rule. Now at the same time, you can easily link this back to some of the suttas that we looked at earlier. So we looked at Dhamma Vihari and how recitation is very important, particularly when you look at the meaning and phrasing of what you are reciting. And also Vimuttiya Yatana Sutta, where we looked at recitation as an opportunity for liberation. And if you remember, we looked at Kala, Anathapindika's son, and how Kala was given a verse by the Buddha, which he had to recite all night to memorize, and eventually he became a Sotapanna. So those are a few things that come to mind initially. There are other things, and we'll delve into this in order to answer this question. Let's start with the Gita Sara Sutta, and this is Nikaya chapter 5, discourse number 209. And in this sutta, the Buddha talks about five dangers in reciting the Dhamma with a drawn-out song-like intonation or singing sound. In Pali, this is Ayatakena, Gita Sarana, Dhammang Banantasa. So Ayataka means long, extended or prolonged. Gita means song or singing. Sarana, which is where Sara comes from, is sound or voice or even intonation. Dhamma, we know as Dhamma or the teaching. Banantasa comes from Bananta, which, are, which is speaking, reciting, or saying. So when you put that together, you get the drawn-out song-like intonation or extended, prolonged singing sound. And so there are five dangers that the Buddha enunciates. The first one is one becomes infatuated with one's own intonation or sound. The second is others become infatuated with one's intonation or sound. The third is, householders complain, just as we sing, so too do these ascetics who follow the son of the Sakyans. The fourth is, there is a disruption of concentration for one wanting to refine intonation or sound. And then the last one, five, is those in the next generation follow one's example. These are the five dangers in reciting the Dhamma with a drawn-out song-like intonation or singing sound. So there's a way of understanding these five dangers. The first two are very much around karma. Like when you think about karma guna, particularly with the ear and sound, and that's one way of getting intoxicated. There's a abhinandati, abhiwadati, ajosayatitati. So one takes delight, welcomes or expresses and remains holding to the sound. The third is really about the complaint because the Buddha is very clear about singing, dancing and, and music particularly when you look at the development of higher virtue. And then the fourth one, where the Buddha talks about the disruption of concentration, if you understand the link between higher virtue, higher concentration, and higher wisdom, and we'll come to this when we look at 
how we penetrate the meaning and phrasing, phrasing of the Buddha's teachings by recitation, what you come to understand is anything that goes too much into the karma, the sensuality of it, it's going to block being able to concentrate. Because at that point, what needs to be recognized is defilements are arising, unwholesome is arising. And this will become clear as we go through a number of suttas. And then the last one is about the next generation following that example. So if the monks and nuns and lay disciples of the Buddha, they sing rather than recite, then that sets that example for future generations to think that it's okay. And so what really gets dispelled or abandoned or suppressed is really around the meaning and the phrasing of the Dhamma, which is something that the Buddha emphasizes quite a lot. So we'll next go through the origin story in the Vinaya. And then after that, we'll go through a number of suttas just to round off this explanation to actually understand this a little better. The origin story for this teaching can be found in the Vinaya in the chapter on short topics. And in this particular account, we learn that on one occasion in Rajagaha, there was a hilltop fair and the monks from the group of Sikhs went to see it. People complained and criticized them. How can the Sakyan monastics go and see dancing, singing and music? They're just like householders who indulge in worldly pleasures, they told the Buddha. You shouldn't go and see dancing, singing and music. If you do, you commit an offense of wrong conduct. At that time, the monks from the group of Sikhs were singing the Dhamma with a drawn out voice. People complained and criticized them. These Sakyan monastics sing with a drawn out voice just like we do. The monks heard the complaints of these people, and the monks of few desires complained and criticized them. How can the monks from the group of Sikhs sing like this? They told the Buddha. Then the Buddha says, Is it true, monks, that the monks from the group of Sikhs are singing like this? And the monks replied, It's true, sir. And then the Buddha gave a teaching and addressed the monks. There are these five dangers in singing the Dhamma with a drawn-out voice. One delights in the sound, others delight in the sound, householders criticize it. For one who takes pleasure in performing with the voice, the concentration is disrupted. Later generations follow one's example. You shouldn't sing the Dhamma with a drawn out voice. If you do, you commit an offense of wrong conduct. Then being afraid of wrongdoing, the monks did not chant. So the word here is Sarabhanya, which also translates as intoning. So it's a particular mode of recitation. And so they told the Buddha that they did not chant. And then the Buddha said that he allowed chanting. So clearly in this particular account that we get from the Vinaya, there is a distinction between singing the Dhamma and chanting or reciting the Dhamma. And what you get from the words, this Sarabhanya, there's a distinction there because Sarabhanya gives this idea that you're reciting with intonation. And when you link that with other suttas, you recognize that it's around memorization as well. Recitation in the Buddha's learning system is often associated with memorization. If you recall that the Buddha's dispensation was primarily kept as an oral tradition until it was finally written down. So as an oral tradition, there's a certain level of intonation and phrasing that comes that you can memorize. And so this is something that the Buddha allowed. But what he didn't allow was singing the Dhamma with a drawn out voice a prolonged sound. So this is something for us to investigate a little bit more. If we now come back to this list of the five dangers, the first one being one becomes infatuated with one's own international sound, taking too much delight. 
So this connects with Abhinandati, Abhivadati, Ajrasayatitati. We see that the craving starts to arise when you become infatuated in that way. It's a very sensual thing. It's karma. And so when you become pleased with yourself in that way, you focus too much on the sound and the intonation, one's own voice, rather than actually the Dhamma itself. So that's the danger. The second is others become infatuated with one's intonation or sound. And again, this is something where rather than focusing on the Dhamma itself, you start to want to please others because of that infatuation. So there's a longing that arises to get the praise from people, the respect from people. So again, the motivation gets challenged, getting intoxicated in a sensual way. The third is householders complain, just as we sing, so too do these ascetics who follow the son of the Sakyans. If we go back to the origin story, and you remember what the lay people were saying about monastics going to the hillside fair, that they were indulging in a worldly way, so householders and lay people, they indulge in pastimes, entertainment, whereas the expectation for monastics who have given up the lay life is to not do so. And so this is a valid feedback that comes from householders because singing the Dhamma actually reflects that it's a sensual thing, that it's not done for the purpose of penetrating the Dhamma or simply even for memorization. If someone comes to you and, and gives you that feedback, it's really good to understand why. If you really look deep inside, and I think some of us have fallen into this trap before, where we pick out chants from the internet because we like the sound or we've been given a CD by even a monastic who's got it from somewhere else. And really what we enjoy when we listen to it and we think it's good is the sound of it, the musicality. And there are certain chants that I certainly have listened to in the past where I thought, oh, that sounds so nice. And of course, when I reflect back on it, did I really look at the meaning of what was being chanted? The honest answer is no. I like listening to it for the music, and at that point it became entertainment. It's good to really reflect on it and examine it for yourself to see quite honestly when you chant and whether you seek praise from others for your chanting or whether you become intoxicated with your own voice, that sort of thing. And if you get that kind of feedback, to really honestly look at it. So then the fourth one is there is a disruption of concentration for one wanting to refine intonation or sound. This is where other suttas will help us to see this. And I think some of you will already know that something like the Pamada Vihari Sutta is very good at pointing how concentration gets disrupted or how you can't even get to concentration because you're dwelling negligently. So we're going to look at that next. The fifth one is those in the next generation follow one's example. So this one is really around hiri, moral shame, because when you indulge karma at the sound level and you can understand that that is what is happening, then this negligence is something that leads to the falling away, the decline of the Dhamma, because there are suttas where the Buddha talks about memorization, recitation, and being a good example particularly with monastic, because the preservation and continuation of the Dhamma means that you have to set that good example. And as a senior, you have to be able to memorize and encourage others to memorize and recite well. But if we want to preserve the Dhamma, allow it to continue for future generations, for our children, for our grandchildren and beyond, then we need to do this to ensure that it is there. Now, the question will always be asked, what is the distinction between singing and reciting? 
And I think it really comes down to whether when you recite or chant, you are actually going into the words and the phrasing of what you are chanting. If you are reciting and chanting and that is not even there, then you know you've gone too far, that you're more with the sounds, the voice, that is pulling you away from being able to penetrate the Dhamma. A good sutta to help us to understand this Dhamma further is the Pamada Vihari Sutta. We did have a whole Poya session on this a few years back. And this is where the Buddha teaches about the distinction between dwelling negligently, which is Pamada Vihari, versus dwelling vigilantly, which is Apamada Vihari. So I'll just read out from the sutta the passage about dwelling without restraint of the ear. And how because does one dwell negligently? If one dwells without restraint over the ear faculty, the mind is soiled among sounds cognizable by the ear. If the mind is soiled, there is no gladness. When there is no gladness, there is no rapture. When there is no rapture, there is no tranquility. When there is no tranquility, one dwells in suffering. The mind of one who suffers does not become concentrated. When the mind is not concentrated, phenomena do not become manifest. Because phenomena do not become manifest, one is reckoned as one, one who dwells negligently. So this is a very good sutta because what we see is when so what we see is being not restrained with our ear faculty and the mind becoming polluted with the sounds. And when that happens, with that pollution, one cannot enter into the higher concentration. One gets challenged. That pollution means you're soaking in with the ear faculty. And so it's very sensual as opposed to being able to penetrate the Dhamma. And that is why what happens is you're going more towards the craving rather than towards the detachment from the sound, from the voice. The sutta directly following the Pamada Vihari Sutta is the Sangvara Sutta. And here the Buddha elaborates on the lack of sense restraint. So the Buddha says, and how because is there non-restraint? There are because forms cognizable by the eye, sounds cognizable by the ear, smells cognizable by the nose, taste cognizable by the tongue, physical sensations cognizable by the body, mental phenomena cognizable by the mind. So the one here that we're interested in is sounds cognizable by the ear. So these are desirable, lovely, agreeable, pleasing, sensually enticing, tantalizing. If a bhikkhu seeks delight in them, so this is the abhinandati, welcomes them or expresses them, abhivadati, and remains holding to them, ajosayatitati, he should understand this thus, I am declining away from wholesome states, for this has been called declined by the Blessed One. Such bhikkhus is non-restrained. What you see here, when you think about higher virtue, you are already falling away from that virtue that is going to lead towards higher concentration. Because if you remember with higher concentration, one needs to be secluded from unwholesome states. So when the Buddha says that the lack of sangvara, the lack of sense restraint, so when the Buddha says indriya asangvara here, so the lack of sense restraint, then we are really declining from the wholesome states, which means we are inclining to the unwholesome states. And so you can't get to the higher concentration. And why that is important is because it's the higher concentration that enables you to penetrate the Dhamma. When we are hindered by defilements, hindrances, any other covers or blocks, it's difficult to penetrate and realize the Dhamma. That's the important thing. 
So that's why when you chant versus sing, it's important to know where that threshold is. Once you understand you're veering more towards the sensual side, you need to draw it back. You need to make it more simple, reciting, that sort of thing. And then the Buddha completes the Pamada Vihari Sutta by talking about dwelling with restraint. So the Buddha says, And how bhikkhus does one dwell vigilantly? If one dwells with restraint over the ear faculty, the mind is not soiled among sounds cognizable by the ear. If the mind is not soiled, gladness is born. When one is gladdened, rapture is born. When the mind is uplifted by rapture, the body becomes tranquil. One tranquil in the body experiences happiness. The mind of one who is happy becomes concentrated. When the mind is concentrated, phenomena becomes manifest. Because phenomena becomes manifest, one is reckoned as one who dwells diligently. So when we look at this, the concentration really leads to the truth becoming apparent. So we see things as they really are. And that is how we penetrate the Dhamma. We understand the meaning and the phrasing at that point. Until that point, it is covered and blocked from us. Some of you will recognize this from going through the first unprofitable direction and also the first profitable direction. So the first unprofitable direction is really the examination of coupling karahara and what leads to going the wrong way due to desire. So this is the chanda agathi. So the reason I bring this up is not to go into, into great detail because we've had quite long sessions on the coupling karahara, so the physical nutriment and as well as all the four nutriments. But I bring it up here for those who understand this because if you go with the voice or the sound or the drawn out intonation, then you understand that this is really the first unprofitable direction because it's all sensual. When you take delight, welcome and remain holding to the sound at the central level, then at that point you're seeing suba rather than a suba. It's pleasing to you and the tanha arises. When you have this craving, then you start clinging to that. You get bonded to delight you get from the sound and then you covet that and it escalates all the way to the dart of lust. And so the sensual pleasure that you take in the sound or the voice or the intonation, the drawn out intonation, consciousness keeps coming back to the pleasing sounds. And what you can see from that is you're no longer penetrating the Dhamma. You're no longer with the Dhamma itself, the teaching itself. You're, you're mainly with the sound. So every time you'll be chanting whatever it is, whether it's the Karaniya Metta Sutta or whether it's the Dhammachaka Pavatana Sutta, you're just getting intoxicated with the sound. And so you're going the wrong way to desire. When we look at virtuous behavior or sila, we know that there are the eight precepts and we know that the eight precepts are particularly practiced for the Uposatha, full moon day. And we know that it is of great benefit. So we know in the Sankhita Uposatha Sutta, this is Nikaya chapter 8, discourse number 41, one of the eight factors is around dancing, singing and music. So the Buddha says, Bhikkhus, observed complete in eight factors, the Uposatha is of great fruit and benefit, extraordinarily brilliant and pervasive. And how is the Uposatha observed complete in eight factors, so that it is of great fruit and benefit, extraordinarily brilliant and pervasive? So we won't read out the whole list because we've been through that before. But the seventh one is, 
As long as they live, the Arahants abstain from dancing, singing, instrumental music and unsuitable shows, and from adorning and beautifying themselves by wearing garlands and applying scents and unguents. Today, for this night and day, I too shall abstain from dancing, singing, instrumental music and unsuitable shows, and from adorning and beautifying myself by wearing garlands and applying scents and unguents. I shall imitate the Arahants in this respect, and the Obosatha will be observed by me. This is the seventh factor it possesses. So when you keep precepts, you know that you are imitating the Arahants, those that have fully liberated. And we clearly understand from this precept, singing, dancing and music and unsuitable shows, things we see on TV, on the internet, movies, all that kind of thing, they're actually obstructive to this path because they're very worldly, they're very sensual in nature. In the same way, when we are singing the Dhamma in the way that is more worldly, that is more sensual, where we delight in the sound rather than the Dhamma itself, this is where we would be breaking that precept. It's important to see it also from that Sangvarasila perspective, restraint in order for higher virtue and therefore for higher concentration and higher wisdom. That's where it all stems from. And the noble Arahants were liberated for following this particular advice from the Buddha and observing the rule in the Vinaya, particularly for the monastic Sangha. But as lay disciples, we can, also, we can also do this, particularly if we're observing the eight precepts. This is part and parcel of learning how to concentrate the mind. If you know that singing the Dhamma is obstructive, that it covers, that it breeds hindrances such as sensual desire, then you want to be able to know Ah, that's what I'm doing. That's what's blocking me from the jhanas. That's what's blocking concentration. This is even wonderful in understanding why we keep certain precepts. We're leaning away from the world, not towards the world. We're leaning towards Nibbana, which is detachment, non-craving. Nabi nandati, nabi watati, nadrasati. So not taking delight, not welcoming, and not remaining holding. And in this case, to, to pleasing sounds. Throughout this session, I've been referencing the Vimutti Ayatana Sutta, and we had this session called the Opportunities for Liberation. And one of those was reciting the Dhamma as a basis for liberation. If you remember, the Buddha says, again, neither the teacher nor a fellow monk in the position of a teacher teaches the Dhamma to a bhikkhu, nor does he himself teach the Dhamma to others in detail as he has heard it and learned it, but he recites the Dhamma in detail as he has heard it and learned it. In whatever way the bhikkhu recites the Dhamma in detail, as he has heard it and learned it, in just that way, in relation to that Dhamma, he experiences inspiration in the meaning and inspiration in the Dhamma. As he does so, gladness arises in him. When he is glad, rapture arises. For one with a rapturous mind, the body becomes tranquil. One tranquil in body feels pleasure. For one feeling pleasure, the mind becomes concentrated. This is the third basis of liberation, by means of which if a bhikkhu, bhikkhu dwells heedful, ardent and resolute, his unliberated mind is liberated, his undestroyed taints are utterly destroyed and he reaches the as yet unreached unsurpassed security from bondage. So this is a pretty unique case in the sense of being fully liberated through recitation of the Dhamma. So what you can see here is when you recite, the Buddha says that we experience inspiration in the meaning and inspiration in the Dhamma. Clearly here, if we are singing the Dhamma and 
it leads to more intoxication or being pleased with the sound or wanting others to be pleased with our sound or voice or intonation as we recite the Dhamma, then that is leaning away from uh, getting to the, the meaning of the Dhamma. And so that opportunity for liberation will not come. And it's not even simply for liberation, it could be towards path and fruit. So if we link it in that way, you see what is important. And if we go back to the Dhamma Vihari Sutta, again in those suttas, the Buddha was emphasizing meaning and phrasing. And recitation, it's actually one of those things in the Buddha's learning system that is highly regarded. And it's regarded because it's also about the continuation and preservation of the Dhamma. So when we recite in the correct way, we are doing our part as well to honour the Buddha's words, but also to ensure that for future generations that they understand the importance of it. We have the story of Kala, Anathapindika's son, from Dharmapada verse number 178. We had a separate session on this one, and we also referenced it when we looked at opportunities for liberation by reciting the Dhamma. Kala's example is one, if you remember, where he was given a verse from the Buddha, and the Buddha used his supernormal powers to make it difficult for Kala to memorize it. It would take him longer. So Kala spent the whole night reciting this particular gatha, this particular verse. And eventually, as he was doing so, he penetrated the meaning of that Dhamma. And so he was able to realize the fruit of stream entry by doing so. Now, if he had been singing with a drawn-out voice, this Dhamma, then he would have been obstructed from that. But what we can infer is that he was simply reciting the Dhamma in order to memorize it. So this is a very good example of seeing how reciting the Dhamma can lead to path and fruit. And that's something that means safety. As we know from the Dhammapada verse, it doesn't matter if you have soul sovereignty over the earth, if you're going to a divine realm, or whether you dominate the entire world, the fruit of stream entry is superior because you cut off an immense, immeasurable amount of dukkha when you enter the stream. And so what remains is far, far less. And you know that you are no longer bonded in such a way to samsara, you actually changing the lineage towards liberation. And whether that liberation is in the current life, it will be in a limited number of future lives once you have entered the stream. So we can take this example as another way of seeing the importance. This question is actually a very important one because people don't realize that they are obstructing themselves from penetrating the Dhamma when they sing the Dhamma. If we take the example of reciting the Karaniya Metta Sutta, this is one where people are often surprised by the real meaning behind the Karaniya Metta Sutta, that there is an insight pathway here, that as you're meditating or even reciting it, you're getting the 10 skilled states, you're checking, you're understanding what that is. And where it ends up is Anagami, the fruit of non-return that by the end of understanding this particular inside pathway, understanding the teaching that the Buddha is giving here about uh, loving kindness, about metta, then you make this strong determination based on the skilled states that you do not want to come again into a mother's womb. This is a very powerful meditation, powerful thing to recite if you really understand the meaning. And so one of these things that people often say in a Buddhist country is, 
oh we've been chanting this for a long time did not know we did not know that this was a meditation we did not know that there's a clear inside pathway for liberation in this and that's the beauty of really understanding this dhamma of really going into the words the phrasing and really seeing oh there is a pathway here there is an opportunity for liberation this is what it means this is what it means to refine one's practice in meditation this is what it means to have skilled states this is what it means to abandon unwholesome states this is what it really means and so you open up the doorways to nibbana is really what we're saying so we don't want to keep those doors closed we don't want to keep the coverings the obstructions there we want to completely knock them over and ensure that we have this direct pathway to nibbana we can end our session here let's share the merit with all sentient beings may all beings be happy and well may all beings be free from suffering blessings of the triple gem wishing you well Peruan Saranay